the Cocktail Nation on WXLV Schnecksville, Pennsylvania. VX. Now. I don't know who he is behind that mask of his, but I do know when we need him. We need him now. For some reason, cool bars in Hollywood have to be hard to find and have to have no sign. This is the Cocktail Nation. Well, last weekend there was talk that the end of the world was here. That said, I wasn't too sure if I should bother producing a cocktail nation show, but I decided to hedge my bets. I was thinking to myself, it sure would be embarrassing being Harold Camping, turning up to work on Monday. And it was interesting, I got the news that the rapture prediction was out there when a man on a tractor drove past me in the city the other day. He was shouting that the end of the world is here. I then realised that it was okay, it was just Farmageddon. On the show this week, we find out about Danish modern furniture with an expert that I tracked down in Sydney. Look at the life of the recently departed European playboy, Gunther Sachs. Our segment, Swank Advice, talks about extricating yourself from a boring conversation at a party. Right now, Jennifer Keith, the soloist of Royal Crown Review and an occasional man. Pacific and everything about it is terrific. I've got the sun to tan me, palms to fan me, and an occasional man. My little island is very lazy. If I should ever leave it, I'd be crazy. I've got papayas, peaches, sandy beaches, and an occasional man. When I go swimming, I am always dressed in style. Cause I go swimming, wearing just a great big smile. My little island was meant for pleasure And in the cool of evening it's a treasure And when the hour grows later What is greater than An occasional man When I go swimming Dressed in style Cause I go swimming Wearing just a great big smile My little island is such a beauty You may forget to heed the call of duty But if you give a slip to your ship Take a tip and
The Cocktail Nation. Thanks to Tiki Shark. There's a literal light that goes on above your halo when you speak. And velvet lips, they parents one. We wake up under transactional sheets. Oh, yeah. Love's a scam, a scam, and you've been wet, Love is a racket. A love is a racket. Oh, the new evening, a wedding veil. Snakes still hiss and coil around your train. It's your latest bargain basement sale Your heart's listed on the Wall Street Exchange Oh yeah Love's a scam, a scam, you've been wham down yeah. Love is a racket Oh, love is a racket Oh, love is a racket Oh, love is a racket Pop your cork for French wine and do roses. I ain't bankrolling your Cinderella muses. Drag me down in your bewitching hypnosis. Well, I'm a cat, I'm no Sir Galahad, and the angle that you're dangling, well, you got me on the right. It's a racket Baby, it's a racket Baby, it's a racket Ah, lots of fashion, a cleavage calculation A transaction, insincere infatuation Slip teeth fly and I got a chanson I got you psychoanalyzed, you make me feel so young Ah, love is a racket you give me a callous rapture at 1 a.m. Take off your max factor. Give you one out of ten. Your love is showbiz. I deviate to see her. You got a bell swing like a taxi dance meter.
Donation for Tiki Shark. Jimmy Vargas, Love is a Racket. Now, recently I was in the Surrey Hills area getting a haircut and I came across a very cool store that specialises in Danish modern furniture from the 50s and 60s. The store is called Vamped Vintage Design and there's a lady there who works at the store who's an expert in this furniture. She's a Danish-Australian lady by the name of Junta and I caught up with her to find out about the origins of Danish modern. This is part one of our interview with part two to come in a couple of weeks' time. Um, a lot earlier than you imagine, I think. Way, way back, just after the First World War. So this could become quite a long story, but I'll try and right. compact it a bit. Um, the when, when really, really big things happen in the world, the world sort of becomes ripe for change, I think. And, and that, those sort of changes manifest in all areas of our lives. And after the... You know, we, we won't take it back further than 1918, because otherwise we'll be here all day. But it is fair to say that once that war had finished and the the world had understood that they were actually capable of completely eradicating themselves and never, you know, off the face of the earth, a lot of thinking was done that had to do with human beings. And that naturally permeates to the way we live, the way we um, uh, choose to show the world how, who we are and how, how we live. So this became evident in, in furniture as well. It became evident in lighting. It even became evident in clothing. Clothing became a lot less constricting after that time and a lot looser. And those things are, you, and you can make some really instant and easy links to that sort of, um, that sort of huge um, calamity and what happens on yeah, entirely entirely so, uh, so why, why Denmark why was uh, Denmark well, Danish yeah ahead with the most innovative furniture that's ever been seen the Danes have always sort of had to look to Germany for a great many things because you may or may not know, you will know that this is a tiny little place mm-hmm. in danger of being overrun at any yes. given time so while that was the case they also looked to this big brother presence down there as a source of inspiration. People in Denmark, there were two in particular, and I'll get to the furniture very soon. Um, Paul Henningsen, PH, is how we, how we know him in Denmark, but outside Paul Henningsen, I think, and a, a man called Carl Clint, were very much um, cued into what was going on in the world around them. And they, they saw those changes. One was very much a man of a, a political creature, Paul Henningsen. Carl Clint was much more a designer and interest in, interested in furniture. They looked to Bauhaus. Bauhaus has a... The, the, the one thing most people know about Bauhaus is that they, they kind of subscribe to a, a bon mot, which you might... Well, that would be one way of describing it, was form follows function. The Danes could, of course, not... You couldn't just adopt that. I mean, that goes against the grain. So you're going to have to have to think about this differently. And they did. And the difference is subtle, but it's probably it probably does drive all of what happened later. And they talk about the form existing in the function. So this is really a, a, a so so once you have you determine the function of what you want to do, then the form will emerge. That's a big difference. The other thing is, and that was kind of driven by the big brother, little brother issue that we have, um, the fact that Bauhaus, Germany, they could toss out everything they knew and they could start again. There was ample amounts of raw materials. We don't have that. So you have got to make use of what you have. And what we have and what they had then are heads and hands. 
still applies to this very day. It's all about the head and it's all about what you can, the connections you can make between your head and your hands. So that's how they came at it. Now, while all of this was happening, the Danish, it, it, wasn't, it, it certainly wasn't a design world at that time. It was very much a, a, a tradition that had come out of trades, out of um, silversmithing, for instance, carpentry, glass blowing. We had all of those things already sitting there. So names like Royal Copenhagen at that stage, so it, we're talking 1920s, had actually been around for 200 years by that stage. Holmegård was not so old, but they'd been around for some time. George Jensen had been in the silversmithing business for about 50 years at that stage. And those people catered to, the, to people with money. But the world had changed, as I said, and, and suddenly it became obvious that you would, in order to survive, whether you were in the upper echelons of, of that trades world or whether you were way down, in, so you, were the, you, you supplied only the hands, um, the world was changing to the effect that you, if you were to succeed, you, were, you had to be mindful of the masses. And that mindfulness of the masses was driven politically, it was driven in a design sense as well, and so they made some happy, happy marriages, those, 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 those movements. Um, Paul Henningsen was the political creature I told you about before. Carl Clint was very much the design uh, man in all of this. His family was full of bricklayers and designers and architects and people who had been able to turn or make the connection between head and hand for years and years. And Paul Henningsen was a mathematician, but he was also an agitator. He was a communist who fervently believed that you had to spread the good things to the masses, otherwise no good would come. The world would, would really be in trouble if you, if you created, yet again, huge gaps between those who, who were able to look after themselves and those who became cannon fodder kind of thing. You couldn't allow that to happen. We know what happened. However, they did know what was going to happen at that stage. So those two got together, and this was a miracle because they didn't like each other. And with, uh, and they got talking about what had to happen so that you could actually make all of this beautiful stuff come about. They convinced, after much haranguing, the people I talked about, George Jensen, Royal Copenhagen, for instance, and Holmegård and others, that they should get behind them and they should begin to look at the entire population and populations of other places as their potential clients, not just those with money. So they got there eventually. They got... Uh, a design school put together at the Academy of the Arts, miraculous nearly. This should nearly not be possible. They would have had terrible battles getting there, but they did get there. And in 1924, they flung open the doors. So between 1924 and 19 late 40s, this was all happening, but no one saw it because the world wasn't nearly ready. And if they introduced this in 1929, they would have just been laughed out of every exhibition they could have joined because it just didn't look like anything anybody had ever seen. So, and the world was getting into trouble again with itself already in 1924. Slowly, slowly in Germany it was all falling apart again. Bauhaus collapsed after 19 years of existence, it just disappeared. And historically it got really hot again, it got very, very difficult. But after the war, the, all that work that they did in those years and they kept the fires going even when the world was at, at war with itself again so that they were training designers and they were 
thinking and talking and writing about all of this in the hope that they would get out of it with, with their lives and they could then start. And that's what they did in about 1946. The first examples of this come out of places that had been making furniture all along and maybe some of them for hundreds of years before. Do check out Vamped Vintage Design, 488 Elizabeth Street, Surrey Hills. Part two of this interview coming up next couple of weeks or so. Right now, though, Pink Martini and Nina Nana. Just picture a pen high. 
Draper wants to be when he grows up.
Nation with Cube Cooper. Hans Carl with the uninvited guest from his Shag Zotica CD just last week. The passing of one of the great European playboys of the 60s. One of the last of the Bastion. Gunther Sachs, who took his life after the discovery of Alzheimer's. He really did define the job description of playboy, if it can be described as a job, during its era of optimum use, the 1960s. Later on, he took his role seriously as a photographer and documentary maker and filmmaker and industrialist. But he led those who made the Saint-Tropez fashionable and for three years, between 66 and 69, was married to Brigitte Bardot. His money came from his great-grandfather, Adam Opel, who founded the car company, and his father, Willie Sachs, who supplied parts to the motor industry. Now, the family actually lost their fortune in 1945, but the US military deemed Willie to be fairly clean and his business essential to economic recovery, so Sachs was fortunate to have his company subsidised during that uh, war period. And young Sachs, Gunther Sachs, never had to work a day in his life. In the early 1950s, Gunther Sachs played, dived, skied, bobsledded, and eventually married a student, Anne-Marie Faur. But she died after a car crash in 1958, the year that Sachs inherited the family enterprise after his father's suicide. Sachs was a widower with wealth, several languages, movie star looks, and a suave uniform of four pairs of white trousers, six blue shirts, and two blazers. Hours after he met Bardo, he arranged for a helicopter to shower her house in red petals. She wrote, It's not every day that a man drops a ton of roses in your garden. And then she married him in Las Vegas. Sachs later married a model, Mira Larson, and began to put the lens of a camera between himself and the women that he still appreciated. He collected the art of his prime and was also on the board of galleries and museums. Sadly, Sachs killed himself at his home in Switzerland, explaining in a note that a no-hope illness meant the loss of mental control over his life and an undignified condition. He survived by Mira and their two sons, and a son from his marriage to Farah. Swank advice with Coop. How to extricate yourself from a boring conversation, or if you've just spent too long talking and no one is coming to save you, our topic tonight. Last week I was at a party when I was introduced to one of the host's sisters. After exchanging pleasantries, the host suddenly disappeared and left me with the sister, who seemed to be incapable of talking, who really didn't seem to have anything interesting to say, who seemed to not want to divulge what she did for a living, and generally pushed me into a position whereby I had to start talking a lot about myself in order for the awkward silence to not rear its ugly head. All the while, Cooper looking for an exit strategy. Also might surprise you, I don't really like talking about myself at nauseam. I always have to answer questions and tell stories about my life experiences. But at this party, I was now in a position of almost reciting my entire resume. At one point, I'd wish I actually brought an A4 resume and left in my coat pocket so I could just whip it out and say, well, nice to meet you. I hope you enjoy this snapshot of my career and life. Too many gatherings lurch from awkward chat to oblivion, and while hosts revolve the room like circus plate spinners frantic to keep it moving, their efforts are often drowned out by the crashing of bores. If guests don't circulate, they tend to gather in groups. But I've always said that knowing when to leave is an art that vain men rarely acquire. Anyone's interest rate will decline with time. In short, banish guilt. It's your duty to get a wiggle on. 
These are your small talk getaways. Well, I must introduce you to John. Or suggest, oh look, let's go talk to Sarah. Or you might spot another guest that you just have to talk to before they leave. You can subtly imply that the conversation perhaps is entering its final lap. Use the past tense. It was so lovely to see you. Or try a pre-goodbye-goodbye. Such as, make sure you send my love to your wife. The trick is to mean it. I hope that helps you get out of a boring conversation. If there's a topic that you'd like me to cover, send me an email, thecogtownation at gmail.com. And right now, Combustible Edison.
Donation thanks to Tiki Shark, Mr. Ho's Orchestrotica, and from the new album Third River Rangoon, that is Arab Dance. A letter this week to the Cocktail Nation from Lee Cantrell in Nashville, who writes, Hi Coop, I recently discovered your podcast and radio show, and I've got to say, I'm really having fun listening each week. Please keep up the great work. I'm passing on to my friends your podcast details. Thanks for the great stuff you're putting out there in the cyber world. Well, thank you, Lee, in Nashville. You can always email me a message, thecocktailnation at gmail.com. And time for our segment, Review with Coop. After reading about the passing of Gunther Sachs just the other day, I was looking to some other playboys of the 1960s, 70s and 80s, and a fellow by the name of, and I'm probably going to say this wrong, Taki Theodokopoulos was a Greek-born writer and journalist who lives in New York now. He's well known as a long-standing contributor to The Spectator, having written his High Life column since 1977. He's written for a number of other magazines, including National Review, Vanity Fair and New York Press. Tacky also founded the American Conservative with Pat Buchanan and Scott McConnell in 2002. And he currently edits an excellent online magazine, Tacky's Magazine. He's written several books, including Prince's Playboys and High Class Tarts in 1984, and the book we're reviewing tonight is called Nothing to Declare, written in 1992. Taking by his own description as a world-class athlete, playboy, war correspondent, and heir to a Greek shipping fortune. Taki has, over the last three decades, moved among the rich, powerful, and titled, and celebrated in London, New York, Gustard, Riviera, or wherever fun or stimulation might be found. But in 1984, while passing through Heathrow, airport, Taki was arrested for possession of cocaine and sent to jail. Nothing to Declare is a pretty funny book. It's um, a surprisingly wise account of his three-month jail time. A story filled with perilous 
day-to-day events as well as uh, reflections on the glamorous life that he's led. A rather interesting look into some of the more modern playboys, but he also tells several stories of people like Gunther Sachs and Ruby Rosa, so it's uh, well worth checking out. Nothing to declare a memoir. There's something you'd like me to review. Send me an email, thecockdonation at gmail.com, and here's the Blue Martinis in Great City. Whenever you're restless And you're feeling love Don't think that the city Is the place to go Now, be sure you can get back out The great city's flavors They're always around They help build your hopes up And help drag you down They leave you with nothing Worth singing about caught in a whirlpool of Eastside cafes where love is a cocktail of beads and berets and blues are the main things that you're drinking about
that you're drinking about So now you're in Now you won't back out A martini, shaken not stirred. Should I have said what a martini sent up? Shaken. The lady will have a Bacardi on the rocks. For the gentleman, vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, and let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand. In other words, baby, kiss me. Fill my heart with song and let me sing forevermore. You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. In other words, please be true. In other words, I love you. Let me sing forevermore You are all I long for All I worship and adore In other words Cocktail Nation, Frank Sinatra, Fly Me to the Moon. Some good news this week, Concord Records, marking the 50th anniversary of the pivotal transition in Frank Sinatra's career with a digitally remastered version of Ring-a-ding-ding, the license from Frank Sinatra Enterprises. The album is set for release on June 7 this year. And by the end of the 1950s, Sinatra had spent nearly 10 years with Capitol, where he'd made some outstanding records. But at the dawn of a new decade, he was eager to establish a creative environment of his own making, one that would open up new territory to explore and take him a step closer to realising his unique creative vision. The result was the establishment of 
reprise or reprise records. His own record label and primarily the base of operations for the remainder of his career. His initial recordings on the new label was Ring-A-Ding-Ding, 1961 album that captured Sinatra at the top of his game with a self-confident swagger, along with the help of writers like Sammy Kahn and Jimmy Van Heusen, arrangements from Johnny Mandel. In addition to the 12 songs from the original recording, the 50th anniversary reissue also features two bonus tracks, Zing Went The Strings My Heart, the previously unreleased version of Have You Met Miss Jones. And the packaging also includes extensive new liner notes by Frank Sinatra Jr., who shares personal memories of his father during the, uh, the founding days of his new record company. Time for a look at the world of swank. On right now, Custom Lane Art Gallery, Tiki Intoxica. Jennifer Keith Quintet will be played at the top of the show, performing jazz standards, R&B, and some classic country as well, spanning the best years of the music, 30s through the 50s. You can enjoy some timeless music from an all-star cast of musicians as you sip from your martini of looking the Long Beach skyline. Features members of Royal Crown Review that perform at the Observation Bar, 9pm to 1 every Friday and Saturday, right through to the end of December. Every third Wednesday at Otto's Shrunken Head in the East Village of New York City, you can enjoy some fantastic exotica and tiki drinks. Hookula coming up for June 9 to 12 for Lauderdale. Beach Bum Berry is going to be presenting the Bum Rat Pack. And Beach Bum Berry has handpicked four of the world's most entertaining rum authorities together on stage for the first time to celebrate Tiki's favourite spirit, the Rumposium, part of the Hookie Lau's four-day Tiki Festival from June 9 to 12. It's going to be a fantastic ride. So uh, do make sure you check out this explosive look at rum in history. And August 18, Tiki Oasis in San Diego. Soon heading up to the Cocktail Nation blogosphere and Cy Zentner with Disciplinado. <laughs>
Cock Donation, Don Rauke and Safradisha. Our new Twitter and Facebook friends, Adrian Yustiko, David Frau, Danny Nello, and Rick Cunningham. You can find us Cocktail Nation as part of Twitter. This is Deep Space Mission 9. We're now entering the blogosphere of the Cocktail Nation. Admiral Cod Blogspot.com is an essay in attitudes. He's a stockbroker, investor, black sheep, traveler, clothes horse, failed mercenary in Africa. It's a nice little blog in the vein of the Chap magazine. Very British, very tweed. A very classy blog that covers all things swank in a British kind of way. Check it out, admiralcod.blogspot.com. And, of course, that is being followed by us here at the Cocktail Nation, blogspot.com. You can find all the blogs that we talk about by simply heading there, cocktailnation.blogspot.com. Well, that's it for the show tonight. Going to leave you with Richard Heyman and live just for tonight. Stay happy.
Potato Nation on WXLV Schnecksville, Pennsylvania. VX.